Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hear that? No, me neither. That's the silence where birdsong should be. And if nothingness can be a eulogy, then I guess that's what it is. Kia ora koutou kato. I'm Dave Hansford. I'm a New Zealand science and environment writer, and I've been covering conservation for 20 years. In that time, I've seen the fortunes of our native species wax and wane, but mostly wane, so that Aotearoa now has more threatened species than anywhere else on the planet. This is Remove and Protect, part two of the Fight for the Wild podcast series, looking at what Kiwis, ordinary and extraordinary, are doing to turn that around, putting their shoulders to a conservation revolution called Predator-Free 2050. These podcasts can be found together with the video series Fight for the Wild, which you can find on the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. I run a short trap line in a patch of Kahikatea wetland next to my place in Tasman. It's only a 15-minute job because this forest remnant is tiny, maybe a hectare, but it's the last remaining stand of Kahikatea in this entire district. That's one reason our native wildlife is in such a dreadful state. Humans have left it almost nowhere to live. The other reason is the corpse in the bottom of this trap. It's a shipwreck, and it's just one of a vast alien menagerie. Mice, rats, stoats, weasels, ferrets, possums, cats, hedgehogs, pigs, goats, deer, that humans brought to Aotearoa and let go into the bush. It was an ecological catastrophe, because in more than 80 million years, our native wildlife had never seen a terrestrial mammal. As we heard in part one, the only predators they knew were hawks and eagles, so our birds had learned to go out at night to stay very still when danger threatened trusting in camouflage. But these new predators hunted by smell at night. Our birds stayed rooted to the spot and they were slaughtered where they sat. People are talking about a climate crisis. Biodiversity is also in crisis. There's a figure floating around that New Zealand has something in the order of 4,000 threatened and declining species. That's a terrible legacy for us to leave. 
That's environmental researcher Andrea Byram, and until recently, she led the government's Biological Heritage National Science Challenge. We are at a tipping point in our society and in New Zealand generally where we need to make some really big, bold decisions. In 2016, we made a start. Then Prime Minister John Key served an eviction order on stoats, rats and possums, and he called it Predator-Free 2050. By 2050, every single part of New Zealand will be completely free of rats, stoats and possums. Key's speech also announced a step change from decades of piecemeal pest control to calculated permanent eradication. And with it, the government finally subscribed to what conservation-minded Kiwis had long been clamouring for, an end to our acceptance of biodiversity loss. This Dock 200 trap I'm resetting. Let's imagine that it catches a rat this very night. From that moment, it's off duty. It'll sit here, waiting for me to come back, empty it and reset it. Most trappers check their traps once a fortnight in the summer, once a month in winter. That means a female ship rat could have 24 pups while this trap is sitting here idle. It's clear then that we're never going to rid Aotearoa of rats or anything else with this technology. And it's one reason why, for the last 60 years, pest control has just been about trying to keep a lid on things. It's a bit like mowing your lawn. When you get the mower out, you don't mean to eradicate the grass altogether. You just want to stop it getting away on you. You know that soon, you'll have to do it all over again. That's what pest control is. It's a job for life, and it costs us around $100 million every year. The worst bit is that it's not enough. If it were, we wouldn't have 4,000 endangered species. Brent Bevan leads predator-free 2050 efforts at the Department of Conservation. We're doing pest control, and, and we're doing a really good job of pest control. But, um, but apart from our islands and our fenced sanctuaries, we're in a suppression mode, which means we have to go back again and again and again. And we've just scaled up bigger than ever before, and we're still only covering less than 10% of the whole country. So um, we're just not doing enough. So what we've done to date is, is we're, we're just trying to keep New Zealand's wildlife alive. You know, like it really is holding a line. If we're, we're not doing more than um, just making sure we've got just enough of these to keep them alive. But for those who work in conservation, we realise it's a, it's a battle and it's a battle we're slowly losing. If we want to reverse this decline, if we want to keep our kiwi, if we want to keep our kia, if we want to keep these things that we think of as the things that make us New Zealanders, then we need to do something substantially bold and different. And that's where Predator Free 2050 came along. The days of this trusty old trap of mine are numbered. The announcement of Predator Free and the funding it unleashed saw Kiwis doing what they do best, innovate. So that now we have an arsenal of smart traps that will do pretty much everything for me. Kill pests, empty them out, reset and rebate themselves entirely unsupervised. And they'll do that for a year. And that's a big reason 
why predator-free might just work. But can we really find and kill the very last rat in, say, the million hectares of mountainous, untracked wilderness of Fiordland? Or the needle of a single surviving stoat in the 300,000 hectare haystack that is Kaharangi National Park? The good news is that New Zealand is already the world leader in pest eradication on islands. We've been doing it for 60 years and we're really good at it. The first island rat eradication in the world took place in 1959 on tiny two-hectare Ruapuka Island in the Hauraki Gulf. The bill for the rat poison was five pounds. Since then, conservation managers have freed more than 120 offshore islands of pests, each bigger than the last, until in 2001, rats were removed from our biggest island yet. 11,300 hectare Campbell Island, deep in the wild subantarctic. But even a Herculean task like that is easy compared to eradication on the mainland. That's because once you've got rid of your rats from an island, that moat of seawater stops them coming back. But there are no such moats on mainland Aotearoa. Or are there? So what we're looking at here is uh, the Southern Alps. This is the main barrier down the centre of the South Island. Al Bramley leads Zero Invasive Predators, ZIP for short, a pest control R&D start-up with just one job, to make predator-free 2050 possible. I met up with him atop the rugged ramparts of the Perth Valley, 10,000 hectares of tiger country in South Westland. These faces fairly tumble from the snowfields of the Southern Alps, two vertical kilometres to the valley floor. To the north and south are turbulent, rushing rivers. And that's why Al's here. He chose the Perth very deliberately as a vast outdoor laboratory. Al and his team of ecologists and engineers have been designing and testing the sort of smart tools and groundbreaking techniques we're going to need if we're to drive rats, stoats and possums from this kind of backcountry and keep them out. Zip calls that task Remove and Protect. Zip has found that mammalian predators are canny, cautious creatures. They know it's risky trying to cross a fast-flowing river, so the team are hoping these steep, snow-fed torrents will keep them out of the trial block. Meanwhile, in the hinterland, Al says they have their altitudinal limits too. So these mountains around us here, the, the lowest pass is about 1,800 metres, but most of the peaks are well over 2,000. And we know that possums top out at about 1,700 metres. Rats don't go any higher than 1,200. And stoats occasionally go up to these sort of altitudes. So why we're working here in the Perth is that this is the back door that means that we just aren't subject to invasion over the back from the eastern side. But you've got to get rid of your pests in the first place. That's the remove part of the prescription. And in this sort of terrain, that's not going to be easy. Looking down from the snowy passes, this place looked merely majestic. Now, looking back up from the valley floor, it looks vertiginous. The trees look like they're barely clinging to the cliffs. Behind me here, you'll see the country's pretty steep. You'll see those waterfall faces just up on that really steep stuff. 
That's an example of why we have to use aerial tools, because we just can't put the guys up there safely to chase the last rat or possum. By aerial tools, Al means 1080 poison dropped from helicopters. We've been doing that since the 1960s, but only as a control measure, simply trying to keep pest numbers down. But Zip has come up with a way to use 1080 to eradicate them entirely. We're finding that 1080 as a tool used in a slightly different prescription appears to have the ability to completely remove possums and it looks like rats. The prescription isn't a lot different from what we do now, but we just have to do it firstly more precisely, so we have to be absolutely sure that we don't leave any gaps. So just like when we do island eradication work, we overlap the sewing lines so that we don't leave any gaps. The second thing is we have to make sure that every possum and every rat has the ability to find a bait. And that means applying about double the rate that we would normally do. Perhaps the biggest breakthrough, though, is that Al's team has gotten into the mind of a rat. They've discovered that rats, just like us, are individuals, each to their own preferences. The same caution that stops a rat at the riverbank sometimes stops them eating a 1080 bait. In the past, pest managers have tried to overcome that caution by first offering them a harmless, non-toxic bait in an aerial operation called a pre-feed. The idea is that the rat, having nibbled that bait and suffered no ill effects, won't think twice about chowing down next time, when the bait will have 1080 in it. But even that hasn't won over all rats in the past. Some just don't fancy the cinnamon added to the bait as an attractant. But Zip has found that they can be partial to orange. So Al conducted two aerial pre-feeds, one of each flavour, just to be sure. Before the 1080 operation, he estimates there were around 15,000 possums, 10,000 rats, and maybe 30 stoats in the Perth Valley. After it, the team kept an anxious watch on 200 autonomous trail cameras placed across the valley, scanning for survivors. Based on what the cameras recorded, Bramley says there were maybe 35 possums left and 15 rats. We've only got a handful of each of these predators left in the system. In fact, we've got no, no stoats, but we've got a handful of rats and a handful of possums that um, we've been able to directly target. Now, the possums we were able to get relatively quickly because they breed very slowly. So if you remove them, they're gone. But the rats are constantly breeding under your feet. So you've got to remove them faster than they're breeding. And that's been the challenge. The 1080 trial showed it's possible to knock predators down to very low numbers, even in this mountainous terrain. But two problems remain. How to find and kill the last few survivors and how to spot any invaders brave enough to tackle those rivers. Until recently, the only solution was for the zip rangers to spend long days trudging the length and breadth of the Perth Valley, checking those 200 trail cameras. These are not especially smart devices. All they do is take a picture when something, anything, moves in front of the lens. That might be a stoat, or a silver eye, or a sapling in the wind. That picture sits there on an SD card, waiting for up to six weeks for Chad Cottle to come and unload it. 
He checks the camera's batteries, installs a new card, and then it's on to the next one. It's a long day, but it's not over. Tonight, he'll spend hours more trawling through maybe 2,000 images on the SD card, looking for that one picture of a stoat. I'm just checking the footage from the um, trail cameras, one of the trail cameras today. Uh, I've got to do this every night uh, that we come back with footage. Um, so we come back to the hut, we sit down and we look through all the footage um, using some software uh, that helps speed it up. And yeah, so if we find any pest detections or anything of interest, we'll uh, note that down and we'll send that out using the internet, satellite internet to the head office and then we'll discuss with them what the next plan of action is going to be. It follows then that weeks might pass between a rat walking past a trail camera and somebody coming after it. And if that rat happens to be pregnant, that's long enough for a new generation to settle into the Perth. So this is our AI camera. A little bit different to normal, this camera is designed to look down and watch a footprint on the ground. It's quite a big footprint though, it's a super wide angle lens. So that we're looking at about a three by two meter footprint here on the ground. This contraption will change all that and much more. It looks like a giant cowbell hanging underneath a tripod. It's a suspended sheet metal pyramid designed to keep the notorious West Coast rain and equally notorious Kia off an ingenious gadget beneath. It's a thermal imaging camera and it's been trained to recognise the warm-blooded shape of a possum or a rat or a stoat or even a wecker. Back at the office, Al Bramley shows me a multicoloured ghost on an otherwise black computer screen. So what we've got here is one of our AI cameras recording a possum that's come in to investigate the lure. Now these are thermal cameras, so you can only see warm things. So we can't see the lure dispenser, but we can see the possum wandering around the screen. But what's happening is that the computer software is looking at that image and based on the program that's running in the background, it's trying to work out what am I looking at? Am I looking at a possum, a rat, or a stoat, or a non-target? So once the software has done its work and worked out what is actually on the camera, then it sends a little low-powered radio signal, which goes to the next camera down the line, which then eventually passes it to a satellite box that sends it to space, and then we can all sit at home on our computers or the rangers can sit in the bivvy, and they can look at what happened last night. The camera uses the same artificial intelligence software that tells a driverless car whether it's looking at a pedestrian or a power pole. But the chances of one rat in 10,000 hectares actually walking under one are almost nil. Al and his team had to find a way to attract any intruders to the camera. For a food lure to work, it has to be tempting to all three target species, and it has to stay that way for at least as long as the batteries in the camera. That's been a long and difficult quest. The country's brightest food scientists have spent years testing foods for irresistible, enduring compounds. Turns out, the answer was sitting on the supermarket shelf all along. So the reason mayonnaise is so good is that it's got the protein in the egg, egg mayonnaise, for possums and stoats, they love that. 
and it's also got the oils in it and the rats like that as well. It's also very good at not freezing at different temperatures and it stays the same consistency throughout huge temperature range. And the vinegar in it also preserves it really well, so it lasts a long time in the field. So by the time these syringes run out, they're still, still good mayonnaise, it still tastes good to the rats. And yeah, it lasts quite good in wet conditions, holds together quite well. Works well with all three species and keeps them coming back and they absolutely love it. That's the sound of another breakthrough in pest detection. Inside a weatherproof housing is an ordinary plastic syringe full of mayonnaise. Zip calls it a motor lure. This is what we use to draw our um, predators in or rats or anything to the trail cam. Runs off a little automatic motor that pushes the mayonnaise out the back and it comes down onto the ground in the tree and the rats come in and um, feed on that and trigger the camera. They're so good because they, um, they have a 60ml syringe of mayonnaise and they um, are automatic so we don't have to check them for up to 10 months with these annual motors. Once a night, the motor lure wakes from sleep and squeezes out another wee dollop of mayonnaise. And uh, yeah, the rats and possums, once they, once they taste it, and, and the stoats, once they taste it, they're hooked on it and they can't get enough of it. And that's where we pair it with our trail cams. It's a perfect combination brings them in and keeps them, keeps them coming back. These two innovations alone, the AI thermal camera and the motor lure, will trim hundreds of thousands of dollars and maybe millions off the cost of Predator Free just by saving us so much legwork. So the reason AI is a game changer for conservation is that this enables us to scale the work we do because the labour drops out of the equation. The cameras do the watching, waiting for a predator to enter the landscape, and then it lets us know that we've got some work to do if something's arrived. And the cost per hectare for the detection moves from about $60 a hectare with Chad and the team checking all the cameras, down to about something under $10 a hectare. More than that, smart autonomous devices like these are shifting pest control from the old hit and hope mentality to a much more precise and informed approach. At any given time, the ZIP team have a pretty good idea of how many predators are in the Perth and where they are. That's the sort of high definition picture we're going to need if we're serious about finding that last rat. ZIP's remove and protect strategy has become a sort of default blueprint for Predator Free 2050. Over the last five years, ZIP's been trying to get to a point where we can do it. You know. Is it feasible to remove rats from landscapes like this? And is it feasible to get stoats to zero? We're now at the point where we've removed the possums and we've, we're now dealing with incursion, but they're very light because they don't like crossing the rivers. The stoats come in once a year, but also there's not many of them. We've had about 15 come into the block and we're able to target them. And so we're kind of moving from can we do it to how do we do it really efficiently. But now we've got to get it down to the point where we can afford to do it at much bigger scale so that we can achieve 2050. So far, so good then. Just 26.8 million hectares to go. And lots of them are even tougher than these here in the Perth. But Aotearoa's rumpled, rambling topography might just be a blessing, giving us a series of footholds on the steep challenge ahead. Doc's Brent Bevan says remove and protect is like assembling a jigsaw. 
But if you accept that it's likely to be a remove and defend scenario where we clear big areas, defend them and link them together over time, and you thought about the idea of farmland being a barrier or alpine ridges or big rivers, well, you could quickly start to see where your jigsaw pieces are and you could clear those out. And you know, if you think of jigsaw pieces at the scale of Taranaki, <laughs> you know, you can really piece it together quite quickly. Our sinuous coastline, too, will help us put some early runs on the board. That's according to Doc's predator-free landscapes manager, Peter Morton. Almost certainly we'll start with the more easily defendable sites. We'll work on um, peninsulas that have got, you know, a number of sides that are um, already safe from reinvasion. We'll work where there's an active, um, engaged community that want to achieve um, predator-free eradication um, in their backyard um, and back those places up. Over time, I think we'll see a few spots of New Zealand um, that actually pull this off and we can spread out from there. It might help to think of eradication as a sort of rolling mall, pushing an operational front ahead of it towards some beachhead, a physical feature that will offer a natural barrier. That might be a mountain range or a narrow isthmus or just a ring plane of paddocks like the one around Taranaki Maunga. Pest managers can then defend that stronghold with precisely the sort of tools developed in the Perth Valley. Once any reinvasion is being managed, they can mount the next offensive towards another suitable feature. Recalling Bevan's jigsaw metaphor, with each piece added, a picture of a predator-free Aotearoa begins to form. It's a big vision and a, a, a long-term dream but I think in incremental stages, uh, we're likely to get there. 10 years ago, nobody would have talked about pest control, let alone eradication, in such ambitious terms. But Predator Free has given us permission to dare. In just a few short years, Kiwis working in laboratories, in offices, in the back country, in their garden sheds, have already changed the way we think about and the way we go about pest eradication. We've been given a glimpse of what's possible, of how this mad, massive idea might just work. Thanks for joining me. Next time, we'll talk with those whose knowledge, skills and passion we're going to need if we're going to make predator-free a reality. Māori. This was Remove and Protect, part two of Fight for the Wild, a four-part podcast series written and presented by me, Dave Hansford. Fight for the Wild is a Fisheye Films production. Series producer is Peter Young. Editing and sound design by Bledon Parry. Audio post by Chris Sinclair. Executive producers for RNZ are Alison Balance and Tim Watkin. And RNZ commissioning is Kay Almers and Tim Burnell. Fight for the Wild is made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. With support from the Biological Heritage National Science Challenge, Next Foundation, Predator Free 2050 Limited, and the New Zealand Regional Council's Biodiversity Forum. Fight for the Wild is a film and podcast series. Watch it on RNZ Freeview On Demand or find it on the podcast and series page at RNZ. .co.nz Kakitiano
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.